This is Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person tired of drama. Um, But today's show, we're going to be talking about what some are calling the greatest environmental success story in Minnesota history that happened this week. We're also going to be talking about, uh, later in the show, one of the biggest frauds in farm history. Uh, Joining us will be a reporter with the Kansas City Star who spent a month researching fake organics. And one farmer who, um, he sold uh, 11.5 million bushels of uh, uh, of non-GMO corn and soybeans as uh, falsely labeled as organic. Um, And then we're going to be talking to Anna Ross with Cornucopia about how can we um, ensure integrity in our food system. But first, we want to start on a a bright note. And uh, joining us right now is Pete Marshall. Pete Marshall is the Communications Director for the Friends of uh, of the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Pete. Thanks for having me, Laura. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, It's been a, a fun week. To say the least, to say the least. Um, yeah, we uh, we got we got the ruling from the Minnesota Courts of Appeal on Monday that effectively overturned Polymet's permit to mine. And uh, just for your listeners out there, Polymet was slated to be the first copper nickel mine in Minnesota's history, and this is a, a very risky type of mining that's inherently polluting and would threaten uh, the Boundary Waters and the pristine waters of northern Minnesota. So the court effectively said that there's a lot of problems with this permit, uh, problems we've been trying to bring to DNR's attention for year, years, and uh, overturned the permits and ordered a contested case hearing um, before anything further can happen. And uh, uh, some of us were afraid that this was a done deal, that this was going to happen, um, and that uh, the ruling that we got on Monday uh, from the uh, Minnesota Court of Appeals was very heartening. Yes, um, it was for, I think, a lot of people on, in government, in the media, and even in environmental groups, they thought that this would um, be inevitable, that it was so far down the line and that inevitably um, Polymet would open and would be operating as the first copper sulfide mine in Minnesota. Um, but um, there was a number of organizations uh, Friends of the Boundary Waters Wilderness, Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy, Water Legacy, the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa, um, Center for Biological Diversity, um, and others like Duluth for Clean Water that um, didn't give up and were really tenacious in um, you know, pursuing these obvious flaws with the permitting process that would lead to um, both financial hardships for Minnesotans and um, you know, environmental disasters. So um, yeah. we are re- really pleased with the court's ruling. And 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 for moving forward, that to know that power of coalition like Water Legacy and and all of us working together on a vision. I, I want to step back and just talk about some of the problems with Polymet. First of all, was dam safety, and then uh, that's not a problem. <laughs> dam yep. the, the safety. This was a, a dam, a dam. Can you explain um, what the proposal is for Polymet? Yes. So um, the issue with the, 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 the dam safety issue involved um, the way Polymet would store their tailings. Um, tailings is essentially the waste rock, the rock that's left over after that's been pulverized after the copper, the nickel's been extracted, um, and then it has to be stored somewhere. And this, 
these this waste rock is highly reactive. Um, it's loaded with sulfides, and when sulfides uh, come into contact with uh, oxygen or water, um, their chemical by- byproduct is sulfuric acid, which is battery acid, and um, that not only acidifies um, wa- water systems, but it also mobilizes or leaches out heavy metals such as mercury, lead, arsenic, um, and then that spreads into to, um, local waterways. So that's kind of the overall concern, I guess, with um, copper nickel mining, copper sulfide mining. Um, but specifically how they were going to store all these tailings was going to be to essentially create a giant pond um, where they would put them, and this pond would be held back by what's known as an upstream dam, um, which is essentially the easiest way to think of it as an earthen dam that um, gets its structural integrity by, um, I don't want to get, get too far into the Well, I know, there's, it's, a, there's it's, a great it's, video. It's questionable structural integrity, I guess. There's yeah. a wonderful video on your website that I think everyone needs to see about the dam collapse in Brazil, which killed 249 people, and that's in January 25th. And there is also the 2014 Mount Pauli disaster in Canada. So, uh, and, 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 and so tell people where, can they, where they can go to your website and how you can actually watch that video, because that video says, like they say, a picture is a thousand words. Um, really explains what yeah, future exactly. generations could be left with if this moves forward. Yep. Um, this video, um, I should know it, know it right off the top of my head, but it is um, www.friends-bwca.org. And, um, oh, yeah, fr- friends-bwca.org slash polymet. Um, and if you scroll down, you'll see... Um, uh, a, a video um, that looks like a dam, uh, earthen dam collapsing, and, it, and if you watch that, you see the tragedy that happened in Brazil. So this is the type of dam that Polymet was going to build, that the DNR improve, approved them for. It's a type of dam construction that the rest of, world, of the world is moving away from. In fact, Brazil uh, has since banned this type of dam construction because it's so risky. Um, but for all the talk people give about Minnesota having the strictest, the toughest environmental standards, um, we were in the situation where it's not safe enough for Brazil, but for whatever reason, it's safe enough for Minnesota. Um, and that did not sit well with a lot of people, to say the least. And, of course, some will say that, you know, there was 14 years of review. It was the most exhaustive environmental review in Minnesota's history. How do you respond to that? Ah, that is, that, that's a very frustrating statement. Um, that is not due to diligence or hard work on PolyMet's behalf. That's due to incompetence and trying to cut corners and being called out for that, quite frankly. In 2010, they submitted an EIS. They had an EIS, which is an environmental impact statement, um, that uh, the, D, the DNR and PolyMet created. And the uh, Federal EPA basically cited over 24, um, so two dozen, um, inadequacies in this EIS, um, such as dam safety, inadequate wastewater um, manage management, um, inadequate financial assurance packages, you know, so what happens in case of a disaster. And they told DNR and PolyMet that you got to start over and do this thing over again. Um, so they 
royally screwed up. Then they tried doing it again, uh, did not address those problems um, to the extent that they claimed they, they did. Um, and in fact, they really uh, took alternate, more devious routes, such as trying to lower Minnesota water quality standards and spent more time with lobbyists um, try, trying to do that. And then um, they did manage to get the permit approved, but um, through this ruling that we have, uh, the court took a careful look and said that there's still these lingering problems that you did not solve. Um, so you got, you got, you, these have to be addressed. So um, that claim that they love to make, that it was you know, 14, 15 years, of intensive work and environmental review, they 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 leave out that um, it was 15 years of a lot of incompetencies. Uh, you know, PolyMet uh, racked up over two $200 million of debt in the process. Their stock has plummeted. Um, they're, this is not a company um, that we can trust with this risky type Minnesota. of mining. Well, and I like what you said on your website is, as any parent knows, just because your kid spends four hours cleaning up the room doesn't mean they actually cleaned anything. Check under the bed and you'll probably right, find exactly. a mess. And I mean, people have been yep. looking at a me- under the bed and there's been a lot of messes. Um, one is that a scientist at the EPA were instructed to send no written comments on the per- permit, but rather relied on concerns by telephone. Yeah, so this is getting into um, what's what we commonly call the the uh, wastewater permit scandal or the wastewater the suppression scandal um, that happened, uh, and this this is another instance where Polymet put a lot of pressure. I mean, we don't have direct evidence of the pressure they put on, but I mean, it's 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 apparent that it's there. Um, but there was pressure on Minnesota Pollution Control Agency to issue uh, essentially a toothless wastewater permit to PolyMet. And um, the EPA, again, had concerns that this wastewater permit didn't have any quantifiable limits for the amount of mercury they could discharge into the water. So basically, M- MPCA, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, and EPA, the higher-ups, kind of conspired with one another to say, okay, you have these concerns, but instead of making a written record of this that would be available for everyone to see, just tell them to us over the phone, um, essentially, so there isn't a written record. And then the notes to that that phone call were destroyed, um, except for one person did take notes and um, came forward with them. So if it wasn't for that person, uh, we would not um, be aware of this scandal that basically happened that happened yeah i i it is very heartening that that we've had the supreme uh, that the uh, court of appeals so what's the next steps for polymet right now so there's two things going right now what what's happened with the wastewater um permit scandal and the cover-up that will be addressed in evidentiary hearings that will begin on tuesday january 21st um that will be several days of witness testimony and depositions um, that will be looking to the extent that Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. uh, Pete, we're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to take a little bit of a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nourish the seeds of change. Right now, we're talking with Pete Marshall. He's the communications director for the Friend of the Boundary Water Wilderness. And uh, Pete, we're talking about the um, ruling this week uh, about Polymet. And I want to—I also want to do a shout out because I absolutely loved uh, and still love uh, Governor Mark Dayton. And and I know there are a lot of wonderful people in government. And and so, uh, and yet, I do believe, and I want to move towards unity. But I also think it's really important that unity is not always about telling someone they're doing a good job. Unity is also about truth-telling. And um, I, I, I appreciate so much the unity of the environmental organizations um, to, that have been so diligent and so, you know, a kind of a fighting against the odds on this polymet. Um, tell us a little bit about the groups that are involved and how this I mean, this wasn't an easy place to get to, was it? No, it it was not. And like you said, the odds were really stacked against us. You have Polymet, which is owned by Glencore, one of the largest corporations on earth. And then um, the regulatory agencies are working very closely with them, almost as though they were clients. And, um, for us to achieve this victory took a lot of individual people and a lot of organizations mustering our forces together. Um, uh, there were, like I said, several environmental organizations. MC, Minnesota Center for Environmental Advocacy has a fantastic team of lawyers. Uh, Paula McAbee at Water Legacy um, was just dogged in her um, uncovering of this wastewater scandal and deserves a huge amount of applause. Uh, and then uh, at Friends of the Boundary Waters, we were fortunate enough to be represented pro bono by Matt Maslin Law Firm. Uh, and then Center for Biological Diversity, uh, Duluth for Clean Water, which is a coalition of ordinary citizens, um, then MN Stop, uh, these really courageous women who are um, constantly out there um, reminding, reminding the governor that of the huge problem polymet is. And it takes, it takes a lot of people working together. And sometimes, obviously, um, you have disagreements on the way things go, but um, that's that's important. I think that that sparks innovation. that sparks it, and that that truth telling and having that's what democracy is about. It's about truth telling and, yeah. and and standing up for our values and standing up for future generations and water and the connection to wild rice. We had Paula Maccabee on this issue um, a long time ago. I really want to thank um, thank you, Pete Marshall. And now, if people want to go on your website um, again, the website is it is www.friends-bwca.org. Great. Well, thank you so much, Pete, for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, have a great day. Um, you too. Keep, keep warm. <laughs> so welcome back. Now we're going to shift talk. Um, joining us is a reporter, a reporter, um, Mike Hendricks. And Mike Hendricks um, is uh, works with... Um, I'm going to get my notes lined up. Um, Mike Hendricks is a reporter with the Kansas City Star. Um, hi, Mike. How you doing? Great. How about yourself? Just wonderful. Well, Waiting thank for a winter storm to come here. Yes, yeah, yeah, so is are we. <laughs> so, um, so tell us about you. You, you did a story this week. Uh, you spent about a month of researching it. The Kansas City, uh, a Missouri charmer, led a double life, masterminding one of the biggest frauds in U.S. farm history. Tell us about this story. Well, I wrote a story about a guy named Randy Constant. Um, he's been in the news over the last year or so, um, indicted uh, a year ago or so for um, 
for this fraud of selling, uh, uh, misrepresenting a regular grain as organic grain and making a lot of money off of it. And then uh, he was, this past August, he was sentenced to uh, 10 years in prison, and three years later, uh, he killed himself. Uh, my story, uh, that, all that was sort of well-known, uh, but I, my story took it a little deeper than that. I tried to explore how he got away with what he did for so long and what that told us about uh, some gaps in the uh, regulatory system. And, and the numbers are just phenomenal. Uh, he, he sold more than $140 million in fraudulent sales between 2010 and 2017. Um, so how, how, how did this all start? Well, we're not clear exactly, um, um, because the only guy who really knows is Randy, and his family won't talk. But sometime in the 2000s, um, he was a um, doing things by the book. He was uh, he had partners with a guy in a, in a uh, organic grain farming business, um, and somewhere along the way, uh, probably about 2006, 2007, he uh, determined that. Uh, that it was easy to uh, pass off ordinary grain as organic grain and started doing it back then a little at a time until finally he got into this really large operation. The reason he would want to do that is uh, organic corn and soybeans back then and, and still now uh, sells for like uh, like twice the price of the conventional kind. Right, and he sold, in 2016, he sold 7% of all corn labeled organic and 8% of all soybeans carrying the organic label? Correct. That is shocking. Uh, yeah, it is. And uh, the thing, uh, it's amazing that the uh, government or the, or the uh, inspectors uh, who are certified by the government and that each organic farmer has to uh, hire to inspect their operation did not... Uh, did not detect that uh, because what basically when they when they finally did drill down and, and there was a um, the reason he got caught is a, a competitor tipped them off tipped off the government it wasn't because of the regulatory system um, they basically looked at the looked at the the paperwork and realized there's just no way the guy could have grown that grown or bought that much grain and this is a, a very tragic story too is he ended up committing suicide. And Tell us a little bit about his background and, and his personal story. Well, he, uh, like I said, grew up in uh, Chillicothe, Missouri, spent most of his life there, except for about 10 years while he traveled around after college. Uh, he was a, uh, you know, a accomplished uh, local athlete, uh, future farmer of America, president, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, in Chillicothe, he was known for uh, being a, you know, a a very giving uh, individual, both uh, in his time and in his money towards his church. And he was a school board president. Um, so he did all these, these wonderful, he had this wonderful reputation, but there was this very dark side to him. Yeah, and um, he even got noticed as one of the 10 most successful farmers. Yeah, Successful Farming Magazine in 2017, their, their June-July issue, named him as one of... Uh, Ten successful farmers to watch in America. A little did the editors know that that very same month that that magazine came out, that the feds uh, raided his house and uh, they were in, inside his house for like five and a half hours of search warrant, uh, gathering data that would prove uh, the extent of his crime. Yeah, and so and then a lot of the so he was making a lot of money. I mean, all he discovered well, all I have to do is call the same grain organic, and I make a lot of money. 
I, I, then it really gets into a sad story there is what was done with a lot of the money. Yeah, well, he, uh, you know, he spent the money. Um, they, didn't, they didn't live in a lavish house, he and his wife. But they they went off and they he treated his, his, his three kids and five grandkids uh, to uh, annual vacations at places like uh, Hilton Head. At the same time, uh, he secretly uh, were take, was taking uh, like 20 or more trips during this one period, t- 2010 to 2017. Uh, 20 or more trips to Las Vegas, where he uh, spent the money on gambling and uh, on on prostitutes, and he ended up uh, having a, extramarital affairs with. With three women, I think serially, and um, well, and uh, Mike, we're going to take we're going to take a bit yeah. of a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, continue to talk about what is considered one of the biggest frauds in in U.S. farm history. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Um, you're listening to the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, and I have on the phone with me right now Mike Hendricks. He's a reporter with the Kansas City Star, um, and he spent about a month researching the issue around um, uh, fake organics. Um, and uh, Mike, again, if someone's just joining us now, tell us the story of Randy you know Constance. Randy Constance's story is a Chillicothe, Missouri farmer who uh, who um, engineered uh, one of the largest uh, Frauds in uh, the history of American agriculture, and spent a lot of money on uh, on uh, on trips to uh, Vegas. Spent money on women and, and gambling, and bamboozled, uh, I guess, the American consumers uh, for a better part of a decade. And and I think most of us are shocked because we just we sort of expect to be able to trust that if the lab, that if it's labeled organic, it's organic. And uh, you know, we were, maybe we're expecting. We've heard a lot about international organic, fake organics, but we haven't heard much about domestic um, fake organics. Um, and and so so, what have you what have you learned? You've you've gone on this. Were you surprised by the extent of this? Uh, indeed, I was. I I thought you know I knew that the uh, U.S. government had put together this uh, regulatory system uh, to uh, certify uh, food is organic. I didn't realize just. Um, how loose the system is. The same system allows in uh, uh, shiploads of uh, phony foreign um, uh, organic grain, the same system that, uh, that operates uh, domestically. Um, the thing about Randy is, uh, and the thing, it really comes down to paperwork more than anything else, and they're just, there are folks who go out there and check farmers' paperwork, and it's easy to, it's easy to, to provide false information to those inspectors. Right, but at one time he was selling like seven percent of the organic produce, and no one checked his paperwork. Well, they might have. The thing is, they they might have been multiple multiple uh, people checking his paperwork, but checking it in different <laughs> different areas. Uh, for instance, I mean, he had his operation down in Missouri, but he also bought grain from organic farmers in Nebraska. The three of three three or uh, Missouri or three Nebraska farmers were also indicted. They were his co-conspirators. So you might have had an inspector looking at maybe his Missouri operation, another one maybe looking at the Nebraska operation. We don't know for sure, but they may not have been, and likely weren't, comparing notes. 
And so one of the responses from his attorney is that, uh, quote, no one was harmed by the fraudulent sale of $142 million worth of fake organic uh, grain. Um, as for the shoppers who bought organic meat and poultry um, that wasn't technically organic, it's not like they were harmed in any way. Um, how would you respond? What, do, you think that's a, do you think that's a fair or true statement? Well, they weren't harmed in, in, in terms of their health, for instance. But they were they were buying one product and being given another. But the the, the grain that he was uh, selling was being used to t- turn into animal feed for uh, chickens and, and beef cattle. And that meat, people would go to the grocery store and they would spend premium prices for our, what they thought was an organic steak or organic chicken. And it turned out it's just like the other any other chicken uh, out there. So yeah, those folks were they may not have known they were being cheated, but they were being cheated. And then the people who are doing organics the right way, they are competing with low-price organics. Correct. Yeah. Correct. He, was, he was able, because of this, he was able to undercut the market. The, one of the reasons he got caught is one of his competitors felt that he was flooding the market with a slight, he could undercut everybody else and therefore drive down everybody else's prices. So, Mike Hendricks, you're a reporter with the Kansas, uh, with the, um, Kansas City Star. Um, how were people responding to him in his local hometown, hometown of 9,500 people, um, someone who was listed as one of the most successful farmers in America? How, how did people respond to this story? Well, I've gotten uh, two kinds of reactions from people in Chillicothe. Um, I've gotten a lot of reactions from people elsewhere who are outraged. But in Chillicothe, I got two responses. One was, people who uh, said good riddance uh, the guy we knew something was funny all along and i've seen some comments on our facebook page uh, from people who either knew him or knows his family who thought it was a shame that i wrote this story that i should just let you know let it go well, and as, uh, as someone uh, who really wants to go and move towards a kind and sane economy, I mean, this is a tragedy. There's, there's, not, a, there's not a winner. But I think truth-telling, um, truth will always set you free. And I think it's, it's really important that we're able to look at our tragedies and try to learn from them. Um, what, what, do you think, what do you think we can all learn from this? Well, I think what we can learn is, uh, well, A, um, that uh, <laughs> never... never Never put all your trust in the government. I mean, they, they, the regulatory system is being toughened up because of, of this this particular uh, fraud. But at the same time, you need to uh, really do your homework and realize and and find out a little bit about who is providing you uh, with organic food. You know, you may be, may be uh, much better off buying your organic food at the local farmer's market from somebody you might know and, and trust and have done business with rather than something that's labeled organic that might be in some giant uh, giant store and you don't know where it came from. Right. And uh, next we're going to be talking uh, to Ann Ross. She's an attorney with uh, Cornucopia and that they work on these issues nationally. Um, so, um, Pete, is there anything you'd like to say? I'm, I'm sorry, Mike, is there anything else you'd like to say before uh, we leave? Um, uh, not a, I just, uh, I'm just really, I uh, think people need to, uh, like I said, once again, just, just uh, educate themselves and be smart shoppers. Right, and I appreciate that you actually were able to spend um, up to a month to um, look at this issue. Of course, you were doing other stories as well. Um, so if people want to find your article, where can they go? Uh, KansasCity.com. KansasCity.com. Uh, Mike Hendricks, thank you so much for being on uh, Food Freedom Radio. Thank you very much for asking me. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Stay warm. And dry. Yeah, right. Thank you. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, but someone who wants integrity in life and integrity in our food, and integrity seems to be in short supply. Um, but but we've also had a lot of examples of people um, fighting the good fight and, and winning. Uh, we had a wonderful um, verdict this week um, from the Minnesota Court of Appeals, um, and earlier in the show we were talking with Pete Marshall, the communications director for Friend of the Boundary Waters Wilderness. And then we talked to Mike Hendricks. He's a reporter with the Kansas City Star that spent about a, a month going over the court, uh, or going over the case of Randy Constance, um, who he was selling like 6 to 7% of the organic um, corn and soybeans in the United States, but it wasn't organic. It was GMO stuff. And now to further talk about this conversation, we're joined with Ann Ross with Cornucopia. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Ann. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Yeah, so tell us again um, what you know about the story of Randy Constance, because I'm still just getting my head head around it. How could like 7% of the organic grain being sold in the United States not be organic? I I don't get it. Yes, well, uh, we've had some problems over the years with grain fraud, um, not only domestically but internationally, and particularly um, in international supply chains, which is what I focused on mostly. How did this happen? Uh, I think fraud of this scale really caught the regulators off guard. Uh, The organic sector has grown rapidly in the past few years, which is a good thing, but it also invites uh, some bad actors in the system who are trying to make a profit at uh, consumer at the expense of consumers and um, all of our ethical farmers. So I think that that uh, is is definitely an issue. With your cornucopia's core value, um, integrity is at the root of the organic community, and it is essential to the work we provide to our to uh, to the, the community for for, uh, for our community. So tell us a little bit about Cornucopia, the organization, and how you work towards um, having an integrity in the food system. Yes. So at Cornucopia, um, a part of our mission is educating the public about organic food and agriculture, and specifically why organic is the better choice for both human and environmental health. And to do that, we research products in the marketplace, And our aim is to give consumers the information they need to make decisions about different organic brands. Um, And also we play a watchdog role, which essentially means we're making sure products that uh, bear that organic seal are, in fact, organic, and that the USDA is doing everything they can do to enforce the law. Right. Now, tell us your personal background. You're an attorney. Yes, I am an attorney. Um, I practiced business litigation for several years before um, getting an advanced law degree in agricultural and food law. And three years ago, uh, Cornucopia asked me to come aboard and investigate um, organic grain import fraud. So that that has been my focus for the past three years or so. So, Because there's also the problem with international um, fraudulent um, grains. So tell us about that. Yes. Um, going back to about 2014, uh, U.S. organic grain farmers started to notice uh, that cheaper um, imports were coming in from countries who really didn't have the organic production to support those numbers. 
and they they started uh, asking the USDA for help, and uh, and eventually what broke um, this out into the public view was a Washington Post story in May of 2017 that documented three vessels with huge shipments of uh, fake organic grain. Um, we at Cornucopia started looking into the issue more, and we wanted to dig into these supply chains, see how they were working, and uh, who's importing this product into the U.S. So there has been progress made um, over the course of the past three years. There are some provisions in the 2018 Farm Bill that should help, but our organic grain farmers are, are still suffering with this. Um because the shipments continue to come in, and even though uh, you know some of them do not necessarily deal with documented fraud, we're still looking at the same supply chain. So we have to be super diligent in making sure that all of that grain complies with USDA regulations. So the story of the farmer Randy Constance, who uh, uh, he uh, it was more than 140 million dollars in fraudulent sales. At one point, it's like six seven percent of GMO sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how can I trust that word organic? And should I still trust that word organic? Yes, you you should uh, trust organic, uh, but it you have to do your homework. Um, consumers consumers really do, and we know that everyone is busy, right, with their everyday lives and researching products. Um, is not necessarily something that people have time uh, to do. So that's where we step in at Cornucopia, and we do some of that product research so consumers don't have to, and they can vote with their dollars in the marketplace for these uh, these better brands. Um, so, so, yes, there are uh, ethical farmers out there, great organic brands, and... I think we we have to remember what authentic organic is, and it stands for so much. It's an alternative to the conventional food system that uses toxic chemicals, GMOs, overuses antibiotics, and brings uh, animal welfare into question. So definitely right, trust so organic. Before you joined Cornucopia, you, you researched the health effects of um, endocrine-disrupting pesticides. And in the United States, we spend a billion, we, we use a billion pounds of pesticides every year, and that affects mm-hmm. our entire ecosystem, the water supply, the soil, and the bees. So there's so many uh, victims of, not, of, of conventional farming. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, even as the science continues to develop, we're finding uh, that these chemicals really do uh, have a devastating effect devastating effect on human health, and particularly when you take the chemical load that we're all exposed to every day, um, it's, it's really harmful. And so eating organic is one thing uh, consumers can do to reduce that toxic exposure. Yeah, I'm going to quote from this this attorney uh, for the person who um, did a fraudulently labeled um, conventional grain as organic when it wasn't. Um, and his attorney said, um, no one was harmed by the fraudulent sell of $142 million worth of fake organic grains. The grain buyer lost nothing. They got paid by the feed mills. The feed mills got theirs when the farmers bought the product. The farmers got their share from the distributors who did business with the supermarket and restaurants. As for the shoppers who bought organic meat and poultry – 
that wasn't technically organic. It's not like their health was harmed in any way. Uh, they enjoyed their meals, even if they paid more than what they should have for them. How would you respond to that type of philosophy? Well, I categorically disagree uh, with that philosophy. Um, consumers are harmed when organic is not really organic. And it's not just about money. The science is continuing to, uh, to uh, develop, but there, are, there is evidence that there are greater health benefits to eating organic. But certainly when you buy something, you ought to get what you pay for. So consumers are, are in fact damaged. Our ethical farmers uh, suffer every time uh, this kind of logic is, um, is put out there that, oh, no one's hurt. There are ethical organic farmers out there, and it costs more to produce organic. So that is, that is the reason you're paying a premium, but you're getting a better product. And supporting the ethical farmers, it's like how do we move to relational living instead of all this transactional stuff? And, and that's what we yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, to the extent people can know your farmer, uh, thank, thank your farmer. That's not always possible, though. And I'll go back to Cornucopia scorecards. We try to do some of the work for consumers so that they can learn more about uh, the dairy brands, the egg brands, the yogurt brands, and look at those and see um, how they're rated, what we've done, and what the better, which which are better, and what's best for their family. And this is why we're very fortunate here in the Twin Cities to have such a strong co-op movement. Seward Co-op does an awesome job of knowing their farmers, and so they do that legwork for us, um, and 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 checking that. So they they do that knowing the farmers. But tell us more about the scorecards that you have and how people can find out because you guys do have awesome information on your website. Well, thank you. Yes, we um, we work hard uh, to put that up there, and we really hope people will use it. So, for example, um, our dairy scorecard was updated recently, and uh, consumers can go in and look at uh, how different brands are rated. Um, the five-star brands are the best, for example. And we look at a variety of factors, but uh, animal welfare is in compliance with the USDA regulations um, is something we, we are focused on, the percentage of grass in a cow's diet, how much pasture is available for grazing, uh, how farmers supply and expand their, their milking herd. So we do a lot of that work uh, so consumers can uh, make, make a choice. And you have a new plant-based beverage um, uh, scorecard, uh, the cashew milk and, um, and, and, and how they're rated. Yes, yes, we did that as well. Um, so if, uh, you, there are many people who are lactose intolerant or um, cannot drink milk for various health reasons. And as uh, everyone knows, the, the plant-based beverages have made their way into the market and um, are, are very prominent there. And there are some that, uh, some brands that are better than others. And we went in looked at numerous, uh, numerous different products, over 300, and compared those to see uh, which ones had the most additives, which, which ones uh, were closer 
to uh, actually resembling the plant and not just a concoction of, um, of other ingredients. So I'd like to ask people what their idea of food freedom would be. Is there a connection between our food freedom and integrity in our ecosystems? Absolutely. When I think of food freedom, I think, I think choice and healthy choices, nutritious choices. And in order to have that food freedom, we have to have the ecosystems to support it. So I'll go back to organic Organic is, is not just about individual human health. It's, it's a production system that is better for our ecosystems. Oh, and we started this show talking about PolyMet and what was some people believe that the government was almost working more in hand with the line of the, uh, the, the, the people who are driven economically um, and, and why it takes um, grassroots support to try to create the world we all want, which is clean water for future generations, healthy soil, and vital living. Um, so do you think sometimes the regulators work more uh, for the profit um, concerns? Well, I think we have to be concerned um, always uh, who our regulators are answering to. It should be the public, right? But we know uh, how Washington works and that certain corporations uh, have have lobbying influence and that can sway things. Um, and that's not true of, of everyone uh, working for the government, obviously, or our legislators, but it's, something, it's a question I think we always have to ask. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No. So we're at our last mm-hmm. uh, last meeting at uh, mm-hmm. last minute, and there's a lot of things I'd like to ask. But um, is there anything else you want to make sure we know about cornucopia and what people can do to make sure we have integrity in our food system? I think the biggest thing is we have to we have to protect our ethical organic farmers, and there are good choices out there, and. We are doing everything we can to try and make sure that the consumer has the information they need to make those good choices. So there there are good organic products out there. Fraud is not representative of the entire organic market. Check our scorecards and uh, eat healthy. And eat healthy. Well, I thank you so much, yeah. Ann Ross, with Cornucopia, and that's spelled C-O-R-N-U-C-O-P-I-A dot org. And people can go on your website and check out your um, scorecards and get all sorts of in-depth information about integrity in the food system. I also want to thank uh, Mike Hendricks. He's a reporter with the Kansas City Star, and he spent uh, about a month of time researching the um, story around Randy uh, Constance. I um, also thank Pete Marshall. Um, he's the communications director of the Friends of the Boundary Water Canoe Area of Boundary Waters Wilderness. And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Stay warm and dry.